from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. We invite you to visit our ministry website, djkm.org, for all kinds of great digital audio, video, and print resources. The North Star is an interesting celestial phenomenon. For millennia, it has been used for navigation. By God's grace, the North Star is a seeming center point for us. Relative to our rotating planet, in the northern hemisphere, the North Star appears to be unmoving. And so we're able to use it as a navigational aid. Interestingly, though, as important as the North Star is, we never actually set our course directly to it. Instead, we use it as an unchanging standard by which we understand what our intended course should be. So here is a question. What is your personal North Star? What is the idea or life principle or personal philosophy by which you navigate through life? Putting it more simply, what are you living for? Here is Dr. D. James Kennedy with his message, Life Worth Living. Our scripture lesson today is taken from the first chapter of Paul's epistle to the Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, and we will begin our reading with the 12th verse. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of good will. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ may be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And may God speak to our hearts this day through this His holy word, and may His name 
ever be praised. Amen. What is your philosophy of life? You say, <laughs> I don't even have one. Oh, yes, you do. Everyone has one. Now, some have explicitly stated them or written them down. For most people, however, I'm afraid that they're more subconscious. And these people may not even know that they have one. But may I say that the less consciously it is declared, the more fully it controls a person's life, even unbeknownst to them. You have a philosophy of life. What is it? Well, Paul was not only a, a great apostle, a missionary, apologete, evangelist, statesman, preacher, but he was also an unparalleled expert in the art of living. He had discovered the secret of a life worth living. He states it in a very succinct, terse, sententious form. For to me, to live is Christ. There it is. Seven simple, single-syllabled words. For to me, to live is Christ. The divine philosophy of life given to us by the Maker. And I do not believe that anyone here could improve upon it if we wrote volumes. So again, what is your philosophy of life? What are you living for? Paul had made this incredible discovery, this marvelous find, somewhat like Archimedes, who, whom you may recall was taking a bath when he discovered that through the displacement of water he could ascertain the purity of gold in the king's crown, which the king had ordered him to figure out a way to do. And he was so excited that he leaped out of the tub and ran out of his house and down the street shouting, Eureka! I have found it! But Paul was not quite so demonstrative, and I have a feeling if he'd done that he would at least have stopped to put on his toga which Archimedes forgot to do. But he is nevertheless telling us just as clearly that he has found a far greater discovery than the purity of gold, but a discovery of the art of living, the art of living a pure golden life. For to me, to live is Christ. Now, he had not always held this philosophy or felt this way. There had been another philosophy in another time in a, another life, it seemed almost altogether, where Paul was a man who had led distinctly two different lives, even had two different names. In that long ago, in that other life with that other philosophy, Paul had come to very different conclusions about life. He was born in a well-to-do family in Tarsus, 
and his father was a Pharisee, and he followed in his footsteps. He was given the finest education, sent to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Gamaliel. There he outstripped all of his countrymen in the religion of his fathers. He was blameless in the sight of men. He had a brilliant and quick mind. He was obviously the man of the hour. And when the crisis of Christianity broke in Jerusalem, he was the one who was going to be their champion. And so he persecuted Christians, hauling them into jail, torturing and killing them, until he had indeed caused Christians to uh, flee from the city of Jerusalem all over, until there was now little fuel left for the martyrs' fires that he wished to start. And so he obtained letters from Caiaphas, who was still the high priest, and set out to find and exterminate these Christians. He was indeed going to reverse the Great Commission. Jesus had said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Paul was going to go into all the world and make sure that the gospel wasn't preached to any creature. Well. As he approached toward Damascus, we're told in the ninth chapter of Acts, suddenly there was a light that shone upon him from heaven as if God turned on a great spotlight with a brilliant, dazzling whiteness that so struck him that it threw him from his horse onto the ground. And there he was filled with terror and trembling. And he heard a voice saying, why persecutest thou me? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And in the Greek text, there is an interesting emphasis that does not come out in the English. But what it says there is, why me dost thou persecute? And the emphasis is on the word me. And I think that that says two things to us. First, Saul wasn't really going to Damascus to persecute Jesus, at least he didn't suppose that he was. He was going after Christians. But that does remind us that when anyone persecutes Christians, the apple of Christ's eye, they are persecuting him, that we are one body. He is the head, we are the body. And those who are blaspheming Christ, those who are demeaning Christians, those who are attacking Christians in the various anti-Christian blasphemy and bigotry of our time need to realize that they are attacking Christ. And secondly, it reminds me at least of the fact of the irony of that question. Why me dost thou persecute? What have I done to thee, Saul? I left my throne in glory, came down from the ivory palaces into this world of woe. I took upon myself your guilt and went to a cross, and there I suffered in agony, even the very wrath of my Father for you. I endured hell for you. Why persecutest thou me? Why? What more could he do than for you he has done? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And I would remind every blasphemer, every persecutor, every antagonist of Christianity that they are persecuting 
the living, risen, glorious Son of God before whom one day they will stand and give an account of themselves, before whose feet they will bow. And for many of them it will be the last thing that happens before they are taken and cast into hell. And in that instant, the whole world of Saul the Pharisee was changed. He had believed quite emphatically and confidently that with the shameful and ignominious death of Jesus, the imposter upon a cross, that Judaism had conquered and the end of that life was sealed once and forever. And he was exposed for the fraud that he was, and God had put his seal upon the truth of the religion of the Jews. And now suddenly everything was turned topsy-turvy. And God had obviously raised him from the dead, for he was alive, and he was glorified. He was evidently the Son of God, as he said, raised from the dead. He was indeed the living Messiah, as he had claimed. And all of Paul's world was completely changed. And in that brief moment, the life of Saul was changed as well. And his philosophy of life would ever be changed. His philosophy had been, as it is true for most people in our world today, and unfortunately I'm sure is true for some here, that his philosophy in those days was very simply this, for to me to live is Saul. And so there was that burning ambition, that desire to advance himself, that animated and motivated everything that he did. And now suddenly that was changed. Those are the only two basic philosophies that exist in this world. For me to live is Saul, or self, whatever your name may be. Now that may take various emphases, such as for some it may be for me to live is, is wealth, money, advancement, fame. Perhaps it is pleasure, or ease, or opulence. Perhaps for me to live is alcohol as unfortunately some are so bound by it that that is the only thing that life means to them. For others, for me to live is drugs, and they are completely bound and enslaved by their habit. For others who have even a more narrow and meaner and more trivial life, they would have to say if they were perfectly honest, for me to live is cigarettes. I cannot live a day without them. They are my master and my lord. They jerk me this way and that way, and all of my plans must include what my master would have me to do, my 100-centimeter-long master would have me to do. For others, it may be for me to live as sex. And there are many in our hedonistic culture who have given themselves entirely over to sensual pleasures. I don't know what your philosophy of life is, but all of those boil down very simply to one, for me to live is self. 
So I would ask you again, what is the philosophy, your philosophy of life? For Paul, that was all change in that moment of that encounter. And from that moment on, his philosophy was for me to live as Christ. He suddenly realized that it was all true. He realized that Christ was the Lord, that death was not the end, that life had a transcendent meaning. And for him, there was a new center for life. There was a new breadth of life, a new intensity of life. You'll never know life until you really know Christ. Indeed, it was for the first time in his life to live at all. For without Christ, there is no life at all, much less a philosophy of one. It's not a philosophy of life without him. It's merely a philosophy of existence. It's only when Christ comes into our life that we really are alive at all. She that liveth in sin is dead while she liveth, the scripture says. And that was not a mere incident in Paul's life. It was a revolution, a transformation, a new life, a new birth, and a new philosophy. Someone said that a brilliant career was in an instant eclipsed into ignominy. How completely wrong that statement is. A really despicable career amounting to persecution, torture, and murder was suddenly eclipsed into a new career of brilliance and glory. And so now today the name of Paul resounds throughout all of the earth. And yet he was willing to humble himself and acknowledge Christ as his Lord and do whatever he would have him to do. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that should be the prayer of every Christian. Not only once in his life, but every day when we wake up in the morning, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? If Christ is my Lord and I am his bond slave, then what will he have me to do? But for most of us, I'm afraid, we never even ask the question. You see, we're really far too busy. Our schedule is full. Our notebook is loaded up with appointments. We just really don't have any time for Lord, but for you, Lord. But if you'll just sort of stick around, maybe uh, in a few days we'll find a little bit of time for you. I'll try to get to service on Sunday, but don't ask me to go on Sunday night. But for Paul, in that moment, he realized that Jesus Christ was Lord of all, that he had a whole new life to live. And that life was now centered completely in Christ and what he would have him to be. And he discovered that now he was the son of God. He was an ambassador plenipotentiary. He had a glorious life. He had a marvelous future and a great purpose for his existence in this world. How different from the view of life of the unbeliever. Somerset Maugham made a vast amount of money with his novels. Was he happy? He didn't have Christ. This is what he said. He had fame. He had fortune. He had wine, women, and song. But was it life? Well, listen to him. When I look back on my life, it seems to me strangely lacking in reality. It may be that my heart, having found rest nowhere, 
had some deep ancestral craving for God and immortality, which my reason would have no truck with. Or Thomas Hobbes, author of Leviathan, the famous political philosopher and unbeliever, the life of man, he said, is solitary, poor, nasty, brutish, and short. There's man without God. Voltaire, the famous unbeliever and skeptic, I think we human beings are indeed contemptible creatures. Or H.D. Wells, the skeptic, I do not believe I have any personal immortality. When I am finished and finished altogether, then my substance returns to the common lot. And for him, there was no future, there was no hope, there was no meaning for life. But for Paul, to live was Christ. And therefore, to die was gain. And he knew that when he left this world, he was going to a far better place than ever he'd known before. He had the absolute assurance when they took him out of the prison and led him down the Appian Way to his final destiny with death here in this life, that it was simply a portal leading to paradise. And Paul was not the least bit afraid. He knew that Christ was alive. He knew that there was a heaven. He knew that he waited for him. He was going to a far better place. For me to die, he said, is gain. To go and be with Christ is far better. And that can only be said, to die is gain, by one who has said, to live is Christ. What is your philosophy of life? May we pray. Father, we too have a an appointment with destiny, we too will have Christ cross the path of our lives again today as we are invited to his table. We pray, Lord, that thou wilt speak to our hearts and change our lives. And there may be a recommitment on the part of many, saying, Lord, I wholly give myself to thee. Without thee there is no life. There is no meaning. There is no satisfaction. And one day I will stand before thee. And right now I yield myself completely to thee. Use me for thy glory. In thy name, amen. Were you agreeing with Dr. Kennedy's prayer, recommitting your life to Christ, or perhaps praying along with him for the very first time? Do you know for certain that you'll be with God in heaven someday? Or is that something that you still wonder about? Don't let another day go by. Surrender your life fully to Jesus Christ, the one who said, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. If you'd like to know for certain that you have eternal life forever and life to the full now, you can place your trust in Jesus Christ today. You see, He died to pay the penalty for our sins and purchased a place for us in heaven, which He offers as a free gift. We receive this gift by faith, which simply put means that we transfer our trust from our own efforts to get into heaven to what Jesus Christ did for us. If you'd like to receive this gift, please pray this prayer with me right now saying, 
Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I repent of my sins and ask you to forgive me and cleanse me and make me brand new. I receive this free gift of eternal life that you alone offer and thank you for it. In your holy name I pray, amen. I hope you just prayed that prayer. And if you did, you've just begun the greatest adventure of your life. To help you begin to grow in your new faith, we want to send you Beginning Again, written by Dr. Kennedy. As you read these pages, you'll learn how to read and study the Bible, how to pray, and even find answers to commonly asked questions. To receive your copy of Beginning Again, just write to our address or call our toll-free number. God bless you as you do. Dr. Kennedy asked a very important question today. What is your philosophy of life? Most people have never thought about it, which means they've adopted the philosophy of life by osmosis from the culture around them. And even many Christians fail to have a fully biblical philosophy of life. That's why we have developed a new ministry resource to help you go deeper in your understanding of the Bible's teaching on every major area of life. This new book is a project of our ministry, and we are very excited about it. We are offering it to you for the very first time. It's called Make Your Life Count. Discover God's plan for the rest of your life. There is simply no other book like this out there, which is readable, concise, understandable, and it explains how God relates to each of the spheres of life that surround us, from our work to the proper role of government, to education, to family. Understanding God's work and God's will for every part of life will help you to live out your Christian life with newfound purpose and resolve. Whether you're just going into college, raising a family, or enjoying your senior years, quite simply, Making Your Life Count is a book that should be read by every Christian. And we want to send it to you today as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. I and other members of our ministry team have written the chapters in this book to help you see in a fresh, new, clear way how God is at work in everything in the universe. Too often Christians have separated their spiritual lives from the rest of their endeavors in daily life. These false ideas can be spiritually paralyzing. Clear away the fog and get the clarity of a truly biblical worldview. Find new resolve and purpose for living out your Christian life. Get the brand new book, Make Your Life Count. Discover God's plan for the rest of your life as our thanks for your generous donation. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or go online to djkm.org. 
we at D. James Kennedy Ministries are committed to following in the footsteps of Dr. Kennedy, standing for truth and defending your freedom. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.